0: Well regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company for uh, Wednesday, September 28th. Glad to have you with us on the program. Uh, you know, my first story at Bearing Arms today was about uh, the Journal of the American Medical Association. Its uh, latest issue is sort of dedicated to uh, uh, quote unquote gun violence, which in many cases, unfortunately, um, is just an excuse for uh, academics and researchers to write about uh, the supposed need for more gun control laws. I did not find a single piece uh, in the latest Journal of the American Medical Association that uh, viewed gun ownership as even a right worthy of protection, much less a a positive good, uh, which is... Problematic. I mean, there have been some surveys of, uh, of physicians that have shown views towards gun ownership and, and views towards uh, uh, groups like the American Medical Association taking a stance on gun control are not particularly popular among the medical community. There is a, a pretty big divide, and yet this was a pretty one-sided issue uh, when it came to um, how to address, quote-unquote, gun violence. Uh, today's guest, however... Uh, is the uh, lead author of a new study he and his colleagues have uh, put together taking a look at violent crime rates or actually crime rates in general uh, with gun sales is there any connection between the two of course gun control advocates say yes more guns equals more crime which is why we need to not only have more gun control laws but we need to reduce the number of gun owners in this country Dr. Mark Hamill, uh, who is a trauma surgeon and an associate professor at the University of Nebraska Medical Center, uh, found differing data, uh, to put it mildly, no connection between gun sales and crime rates. Does that disprove the uh, more guns equals more crime hypothesis? Well, I would say so, but let's find out what the good doctor thinks. Uh, here's our conversation with Dr. Mark Hamill. Take a look and a listen. Dr. Hamill, thanks so much for coming on Cam and Company today. It's great talking with you.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Just been looking forward to it.
0: And and it's great to see this new study out uh, because, you know, anecdotally, I've always said it's the whole idea that more guns equals more crime. All you have to do is look at crime stats and know that that's not true. Crime rates in this country over the course of, you know, 200 plus years tend to rise and fall in waves that don't correlate to the number of guns that are sold or the number of guns that are in the hands of Americans. But that's just anecdotal evidence. That's just me looking at, you know, one set of crime stats. You actually and your colleagues actually decide, all right, let's dig a little bit deeper. Uh, And and what did you find when you started looking at um, the rate of NICS checks? Because there is no, you know, perfect way to know how many guns are sold every year. But when you started looking at the number of NICS checks performed, versus the country's crime rate, were you able to come up with any correlation?
1: No, well, I mean, it depends on how you look at it. And I think that's the problem with any research into firearms or really anything, is it really depends how you run the numbers. And when you look at grossly, um, you know just gross number of of, of of background checks or you know which is a which is, again we're using as a surrogate for legal firearm sales and gross gross crime numbers across the spectrum what we saw is of course there was a there was a correlation as background checks and firearm sales went up that crime went down but i think that is unfortunately a very simplistic way of looking at things and uh, that's one of the things is if, if you're going to look at this you've got to look at it kind of using a Robust modeling, modeling, uh, modeling to make sure you don't introduce kind of unintentional errors into your analysis. What we ended up doing is uh, looking at it a little bit differently and looking at it at the state level. What happened within states over time and comparing essentially one state to another to another state and kind of taking into account that rates within states are very correlated from one year to the next. And, you know, to me, not surprisingly, what we found was there really is no correlation with any of the major crime or homicide indices that are out there and, you know, increased level of firearm sales. So that again, I'm not surprised by that.
0: Um, I'm sure that uh, there are some folks out there who who are, because you know, particularly over the last couple of years, I mean, there have been no shortage of um, advocates for uh, more gun control laws, uh, and even some researchers themselves who say, look, we saw this massive increase in gun sales in 2020. At the same time, we saw the biggest crime spike that this country has seen in at least 30 years, if not longer. Um, those two things must be related. Uh, is is there anything that, uh, in your study, which did not go up to 2020, I believe, Um but is there anything that would indicate that those folks might be onto something?
1: Well, I, I think, you know, you look at it and it all depends on the time frames you're looking at. And I, I think, you know, as I brought up in my study, there was a study around Sandy Hook where researchers did the same thing. They looked at the about year period around Sandy Hook and said, oh, well, you know, something, you know, gun sales went way up over this time and crime, you know, and there were increased, you know, crimes involving children and, you know, and deaths involving children with firearms. And I think, you know, on face value, they they make a little bit of a compelling argument. But when you dig a little deeper, and they even acknowledge this, is that when you look at very limited time, it's very difficult to account for things outside the specific things that you're studying that could account for the changes. And that, I think, is one of the things which we did. We looked at a relative long period of time. So any, any, any outside factors will probably you know, kind of ebb and flow over that period, and the, the effects will be limited by looking at the much longer time period. And I think that's the problem. And the, and the other thing is, you know, the chicken or the egg is is the gun sales, you know, are the gun sales causing the increased crime or is the crime causing the increased gun sales? Um, you know, anecdotally, and you know, we hadn't discussed this, but I, I was a New York City cop before I went to medical school um, in the um, in the mid 90s. And, you know, it, it, I was it, this was when, you know, we were seeing a huge amount of crime in New York. And quite frankly, it wasn't the people who legally owned guns in New York City that were the problem. And I think that's that's the crux of the issue is that. The people who legally want to own the gun firearms are, for the most part, a very law-abiding group of people. Mm -hmm. A lot of the crime is probably driven by people who are not law-abiding citizens. In fact, I would argue that the bulk of the crime is probably driven by people who are not law-abiding citizens. And that's the problem. I mean, you know, a study like this does not account for sales that occur illegally. It, it also, by its very nature, it can not account for face-to-face sales between people. There's no way to account for that in most states in this country. Mm-hmm. But uh, – at least when you're going through a you know a firearms dealer and you know purchasing either a new or used firearm for a firearms dealer, there really doesn't look like there's any association with changes in crime rates over time. Yeah, you
0: know, and, and so I want to go back to something you just mentioned where you talked about your experience as a police officer in New York. Um, and and you know, obviously, I, I think the uh, the response from those who would say no, 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 we we do need to limit uh, access to firearms is that uh, well, look, New York City made it incredibly difficult. Uh, for people to own firearms, made it even more difficult for people to carry them. So of course, we would not expect to see uh, that body of people commit a lot of crimes because we you know, double and triple check to make sure that they were law-abiding citizens. We had character references. We went through their tax records. Boy, I mean, we combed through their past with a fine tooth comb. And now the Supreme Court says, ah, you know, you, these good cause requirements have to go away. More people are going to be carrying. That opens the door for um, less responsible people carrying firearms. But you and your colleagues also took a look at concealed carry race in violent crime. This has been a couple of years, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. we published it in the Journal of the American College of Surgeons in 2019, and we looked at changes in uh, concealed carry legislation on a state level over almost 30 years. And, you know, I mean, over that period, there was, I mean, just about every state, you know, at the beginning of the 30-year period back in the 80s, many states did not allow civilian concealed carry of firearms. Over that 30-year period, every state in the country, you know, ended up putting in some form of concealed carry legislation for civilians, and many of them went to a to a kind of shell issue, or even this was the beginning of the constitutional carry trend at that point. And you know, we, quite frankly, we found the same thing. Um, is that when you when you adjusted for it rigorously, you know, when you, when you use rigorous statistics to look at it, there was no association with the liberalization of concealed civilian concealed carry laws and the uh, and, and crime. Um, and it, again, that goes counter to some of the narrative that's out there. But, um, you know, I mean, there's some data. You look at some of the data by Dr. Lott that's out there and he has some studies looking that, you know, as a group, Civilians who carry firearms concealed and have concealed carry permits are more law abiding in in many pl- in, in a lot of places than police officers they have a lower arrest rate um, they have a lower you know i mean it, it, it's kind of amazing when you look at that and that seems kind of- to it countered to some of some what I would think, but, you know, again, and it, it no, no situation is going to be perfect. I mean, the background checks, I mean, I think we've seen many times in the last, you know, in the last several years where the background check system has failed because the data was not entered in a reasonable fashion. Mm-hmm. So. I think, you know, that background checks only as good as the data that's entered into it. And, you know, unfortunately, just like, you know, I mean, people, some people are going to commit crimes and some of them are crimes of passion that occur suddenly. And that's very difficult to control for. Um, you know, I mean, as a police officer, I saw, you know, crimes of passion with firearms. I saw crimes of passion with, you know, butcher knives. Um, you yeah. Know, you see that. And that's very difficult to control for. <sighs>
0: It, it is. And and again, I mean, I think anybody who's promising, uh, you know, a utopian crime free society, uh, no matter what their proposal is, uh, you know, I would disregard that advice. You're right. We're always going to have that certain criminal element. Uh, but again, I think, you know, when we talk about the debate over gun ownership and right now, the Journal of the American Medical Association, their, their latest issue is dedicated basically to combating gun violence. Um, I took a look at the list of topics and it's pretty much all in favor of a, you know, a public health approach to combating gun violence. It sure looks a lot like let's put new gun laws on the book. Let's put red flag laws on the books. Universal background checks. Let's ban these guns. We need gun licensing uh, to own a gun. We need gun licensing to carry. Um, those are the types of proposals that are, are being put forward legislatively from, you know, the Journal of the American Medical Association. You also have other. Ah, uh, folks who are talking about you know maybe non-legislative areas for, uh, you know fighting uh, like maybe violence interrupters and things of like that. You know these sort of gun violence prevention groups, but I, you know I didn't see anything in that recent journal that I would say even viewed gun ownership as a positive, uh, or 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 even simply a right that should be protected, right? Um, and I, that's concerning to me just as a as a gun owner and as a segment of an advocate, how concerned are you as a doctor that the medical profession itself is sort of putting its thumb on the scale when it comes to research and advocacy, uh you know, sort of leaning towards one solution quote unquote solution um without considering all of the data, all of the research and frankly the laws of the land.
1: Yeah, I, I think that is a that is a great point. Um, I, I will be frank and say I, I suspect many of the much of the medical literature on this has a fair amount of bias that's that occurs with it. I even encountered that in getting this paper published where, you know, medical literature goes through what's called a peer review process where you have other people review the review the literature and kind of make comments and make suggestions. And we we made some we had some great, great comments and and made some edits to the paper, you know, from the initial draft versions. But the initial journal that I submitted this to, um, one of the reviewers, you know, we went through a couple, a couple, a couple layers of edits, and then, you know, came back to the final. You know, we had answered all their questions in it, and the reviewer basically came back and said, well, you know, you've answered all my questions, and I can't find anything major, but I don't agree with, I don't agree with it, so I'm going to recommend they don't publish it. Uh, okay, I mean, I. I Okay, that's that's your that's your prerogative as one of the reviewers, but I think that kind of goes against the spirit of the peer review process, which is going to try to try to improve things. Um, you know, I, I think one of the problems with the medical literature on on any firearms-related topic is that, in many ways, as they say, we're going to look at it as a public health problem, but they disregard the other literature from other social science fields that are out there, which uh, you know, legal literature. There's criminal justice literature. There's, you know, many of the social sciences have literature which is which looks at this. And quite frankly, they all have very different conclusions um, depending on the lens that you look at the topic through. I mean, you can frame things as a public health, you know, as public health, and that's, you know, you get one conclusion. You frame things from a legal standpoint, you get another conclusion. You frame, frame things from a criminal justice standpoint, you get a slightly different conclusion. And I think that's the fatal flaw of a lot of the medical literature is that it looks at this and it only looks at it through the lens of medicine. I'm a trauma surgeon. I see this. I I see violence committed with firearms day in and day out. And, you know, it's generally not people who legally are possessing firearms. That are the victims. I mean, sometimes it is, and sometimes there are very tragic results from bystand bystanders and things like that, and that, that it's horrific. Some, but in many cases it's not. In many pe- cases, it's people involved in some sort of crime that are that are the victims and the perpetrators. Um, and I I think you know you've got to look at that, and I, I think the the you know in general medicine is looking at this through a very limited um you know, through a very, very narrow lens. And I think that's a problem. And I also think that if you don't have consensus on this, and that's something the Rand Corporation recently looked at is, you know, how can we how can we figure out a way to move forward with this? And one of their conclusions was that consensus is what's needed. You need to find the areas where you can get some consensus where changes make sense. I mean, quite frankly, I also think that New laws aren't necessarily the answer, but enforcing a lot of the laws that you already have, you know, has, has a lot of potential. And uh, these days when you have, you know, people with the, the criminal justice country has changed significantly in the last few years. And I think that is a problem that is probably that is probably some of the violence that you're seeing and some of the some of the changes in crime rates that you're seeing now. Yeah.
0: Listen, I'm not going to disagree with you. We have a segment on this program every day called The Recidivist Report where we literally just – and I have no shortage finding these stories you know, of a repeat violent offender uh, in the criminal justice system who just keeps kind of going through this revolving door, right? And you wonder how many times is it going to take before the criminal justice system actually steps in and there are consequences for these crimes. Um I I think you're right that there again is this is a a and maybe it's you know maybe the legal side is looking at it from a narrow legal uh window and the medical community is looking at it from the narrow you know medical lens but I think you're right about the the sort of narrow approach that we see in in some of these uh uh disciplines uh when you know in reality I think this is a complicated issue uh and I don't know that uh uh, there is, I wish that there was a simple answer. I wish it were as easy as, well, let's just do this one quick thing and bloop, the problem is solved. Um, I don't think unfortunately that that is the case, but I, I do appreciate uh, you and your colleagues putting this study together because I do think that it is really valuable in terms of just again, uh, you know, finding out what it is that we're really supposed to be looking at and concentrating on. And And if the idea that, well, more guns automatically leads to more crime is simply not true, then let's talk about, well, what does lead to more crime? Uh, and maybe we can focus our efforts on trying to stop those things as opposed to trying to prevent legal gun ownership or viewing that as the, uh, the, the sort of you know, model treatment uh, when it comes to, uh, to fighting gun violence. I- I'm curious, uh, now that this paper is published, do you and your colleagues have any uh, endeavors planned for the future? Are you, are you looking at some other uh, areas of research?
1: We we do we do I I don't want to you know again, <laughs> not having done anything yet I don't want to tell it I don't, don't want to you don't have to hands. tip your
0: hat but I'm 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 glad to know that you're not stopping here let's leave it we can leave it with that
1: we have we have a couple other things planned um it, it takes some time to put this together and uh, you know I, again we want to make sure I, in in the end we want to make sure we do it right um, yeah we don't want to we don't want to do something you know, something kind of, you know, preliminarily, we want to make sure we get it right when we do it, because it doesn't make sense to give something that someone can really shoot holes in. Um, You know, I want want to do quality. I want to do quality work when it comes to that. We all want to do quality work.
0: Absolutely. And I appreciate uh, you, again, spending some time with us today talking about this uh, quality work, this new study that is out. Dr. Mark Hamill, thank you again for your time. Thanks for everything you do, uh, not just uh, in terms of the research, but uh, the lives that you save uh, each and every day. I really appreciate it and hope we get a chance to talk again soon. Yes,
1: sir. Thanks a lot, Cam.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Dr. Mark Hamble, joining us here on and Arms Cam and Company. Well, I do appreciate Dr. Hamble joining me on the program. Look forward to uh, seeing what he and his colleagues come up with, although it might be a couple of years. But I want to have Dr. Hamill back at some point just to talk about, well, whatever's in the news. I think his perspective as a former law enforcement officer, now a trauma surgeon – I think that gives him a really unique perspective. And frankly, I, I, I'm just interested in talking more with him in the future. So hopefully we'll be able to bring him back onto Cam and Company uh, at a, a later date. Right now, let's turn our attention to today's recidivist report, our armed citizen story and our good deed of the day. Uh, we'll start with our recidivist report. This one actually not dealing with a, well, yeah, I guess violent criminal, not, not the most recent charge. Uh, but uh, the website CWB Chicago has the story of a 13-time felon who pickpocketed passengers on the Chicago Transit Authority while out on bail for pickpocketing passengers on the Chicago Transit Authority as well as robbery. Yeah, 13-time felon. You got to try hard. And you have to have some help from the criminal justice system to be a 13-time felon, don't you? Um, Albert Fields is his name. He, uh, again, 13 previous felony convictions, including uh, murder in 1981. Uh, two years ago, the website CWB Chicago reports he was charged with robbery theft and identity theft for crimes uh, that he committed while he was allegedly working with a pickpocketing team on the uh, uh, train system in downtown Chicago. Charges filed in October 2020. Judge released him on his own recognizance. No no bail needed. Uh, and then he went AWOL. Didn't show up for court. Just skipped out. Charges still pending, by the way. Case hasn't been resolved. Uh, but he was back in court earlier this week. Prosecutors say that he was uh, part of a pickpocket team on the train system in downtown Chicago. Again, Chicago police saw the uh, 66-year-old sitting on a bench On a uh, a green line station platform Monday afternoon, recognized him as one of the uh, folks that they've been looking for, so they uh, arrested him. Prosecutors say that he stole a 44-year-old man's wallet on a blue line train back in June, while an accomplice blocked the victim's path. Then uh, the following month, he allegedly stole a wallet from a man from Missouri, uh, while two other accomplices blocked the victim's path. Uh, Prosecutors and uh, CTA uh, prosecutors say that uh, the CTA surveillance system recorded both of those thefts, and now he's charged with two counts of felony theft from a person. Uh, during Tuesday's bail hearing, his defense attorney said he has, quote, severe substance abuse issues. Okay. And that may very well be the case. But again, if you know that somebody has severe substance abuse issues and you know that that individual has a productivity for committing crimes, including violent crimes, because of those severe substance abuse issues, it seems to me the state has a duty to intervene. Right. And at this point, given the lengthy criminal history for Mr. Fields, uh, outpatient drug treatment, probably not appropriate. Inpatient drug treatment may not even be appropriate. Drug treatment in a prison setting, however, might be appropriate. I have no problem whatsoever with the uh, criminal justice system saying, all right, you know what, we got to deal with Mr. Fields underlying substance abuse problems. And even at 66 years old, I don't think it is too late for Mr. Fields to address those issues, but the system's not addressing those issues. The system is giving Mr. Fields a slap on the wrist, sending him out back into the streets, knowing that because of his substance abuse issues, or, or let's, let's say that maybe the defense attorney's wrong, and maybe this guy just really likes committing crimes, for whatever reason... Every time the system lets Mr. Fields out, he is soon back again. Now, I would say that that is an untenable situation. But for the criminal justice system, in Cook County anyway, it's just another day's work. Today's Armed citizen story from uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, where police are investigating after a burglary suspect was shot and killed by a homeowner. Um, This was uh, about 1230 Tuesday afternoon. Uh, Authorities responding to a call of a shooting. When they got there, they did find a subject deceased uh, outside of the home. Homeowner told officers that the burglary suspect climbed through the back window and was inside the residence uh, when he was shot. Police said the suspect then went back through the window, ran to the front of the home before collapsing. Uh, No names have been released, uh, neither the alleged burglar nor the uh, homeowner. Uh, Tulsa police say it's still an active investigation, but at this point, Everything looks like it's a a case of self-defense. We will keep our eyes open for any details. Sometimes things change. You know, we had that story out of uh, Milwaukee uh, a few weeks ago where uh, it originally looked like it was self-defense. And then it turned out it was self-defense, but in a drug house. And there were still some charges uh, that the individual was facing. So we do bring you the updates. Uh, when we can find them, and hopefully that'll be the case for this uh, story out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Finally today, our good deed of the day, in the right place, at the right time, Willing and unable to do the right thing, an off-duty Dallas police officer who saved a woman after a fiery crash. This was a late Tuesday night. The woman's truck apparently stalled along Interstate 30 near a Jim Miller Road. While she's calling for help, again, with her truck just kind of stalled out, she was hit. Well, her vehicle was hit. Uh, two other vehicles actually hit her truck, and then the truck ended up catching fire in the middle of the highway. So this off-duty Dallas officer is just driving by, again, like literally in the right place at the right time. Uh, and he was able to get her out of the truck moments before it was fully engulfed. She was taken to a local hospital. She is expected to recover. Uh, the other drivers were shaken up, but they were not seriously injured, Thankfully. Uh, Dallas police have not released the name of the off-duty officer who uh, saved the woman. Uh, I know, having had a car catch fire myself, how quickly vehicles can go up in flames and be completely and totally engulfed. So, uh, again, thankfully, the Dallas police officer uh, was there to extricate her to safety. I I would also just tell you, if that ever happens, if your car ever stalls out you're in the middle of the road, turn your hazards on. Really, I don't know if that was the case. Uh, But the fact that two different vehicles hit this truck kind of makes me wonder if they didn't realize what was going on until it was too late. So, uh, you know, do yourself and everybody else around you a favor. If for whatever reason your car gets disabled out on the road, hit those hazards so that uh, the other drivers know to avoid you. And hopefully... You don't have to get pulled out of the flaming wreckage of your vehicle by a uh, very nice off-duty police officer. Now, that is going to do it for this edition of Bearing Arms Cam & Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program as always. We will be back tomorrow with yet another edition before we wrap up the week. Uh, at least wrap up the week, Cam and Company-wise. You know, of course, we uh, cover the latest segment of news and information every day of the week at BearingArms.com, And I would encourage you to visit the website to get the latest news that you need to know about. Uh, When it comes to your right to keep and bear arms, if you like what you see, I'd also encourage you to become a VIP member at Bearing Arms. All you have to do is go to BearingArms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code gunrights and you can get a significant savings on your VIP membership. As our way of saying thanks, we're going to give you exclusive content, news stories and analysis you won't find anywhere else because your support does matter. And it really does make a difference. So thank you again. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great rest of your hump day Wednesday. Until then, be well. Be safe. Be free.